Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So welcome, I really want to extend a warm welcome to each of you. Uh, thanks for making the, making the effort to get here tonight. Some, some of you have come from, from a distance with all the weather and uh, there's, still, there's still two people who are uh, yet to arrive. So we'll have two more folks arriving um, hopefully while we're all still sitting here tonight. If not, they'll appear in the morning. <clears throat> My name's Oren, and uh, I'm really looking forward to these next few days together to uh, sit and listen and, and speak and practice and explore together. Um, What I'd love to do to start is maybe to just invite uh, each of you to um, share your name and, and the, what that word was, and what that essence was of what's bringing you here, or your intention, um, both so that uh, we can each uh, uh, at least get a glimpse into everyone in the room, you know, just hear each other's voice, the name, and then some facet of what's bringing you here. Uh, and also so that I, I can get a sense of where you're coming from and start to learn, start to learn your names, who each of, each of us is. Uh, and so, um, uh, yeah, I'll just be brief, just your name and then that word, rather than, um, you know, a whole uh, sentence or explanation. We'll have uh, plenty of time for sharing and talking over the course of the next uh, next few days. So um, if somebody is uh, bold and brave enough to start, uh, that would be lovely. And then we could just go around, go around in a circle. Sure. Ha, <laughs> 
Rage. <laughs> you did it exactly right. So, um, so that's what's bringing you here. And what is it that you're actually hoping for? So transformation, yeah, transformation and great, great. Thanks, Melissa. Compassion, Lynn Marie. Hello, I'm Dan, and my word is effort. Dan, were you here last year? You both were, right, okay, I recognize your faces, great, so good to have you back. Hello everyone, my name is Sheldon, and my word was truth. Uh, Oren. Inner listening. Yeah, I said two is okay. <laughs> So just letting, letting that kind of, you know, taking that in. Hi, welcome. Come on in. You can grab a couple of the um, chanting sheets. Those are the, the two single sheets uh, on the lower part of the table and find a seat and just settle in. We're just getting started. What's your name? Nidhi. Nidhi. Welcome, Nidhi. Hmm. So I wanted to give you a little, um, just kind of a sense of the flow of our, our weekend together. Um, tonight I'll, I'll uh, just kind of give some introductory remarks and uh, we'll participate in um, a traditional ritual of uh, chanting the refuges and precepts, which I'll talk a little bit about uh, to formally begin our time together. Uh, and then we'll end um, with some chanting tonight. Depending on how it goes, we might have some uh, a little bit of, of quiet sitting at the end as well. We'll see. Um, in general, our um, so if you uh, are expecting a silent retreat, um, you're uh, going to be disappointed. <laughs> uh, does anyone not know that this is an interactive s s retreat on focusing on speech? You'd be surprised. <laughs> You'd be so people show up to silent retreats saying, you mean I can't talk? <laughs> and, and vice versa. So good. All right, we're starting off on a good note. Um, so uh, that said, we will have periods of silence. Um, uh, a key part of communication and speech practice uh, is... Uh, really connecting with ourselves deeply and learning how to come to a place of, of quiet inside. Uh, we learn to speak by listening. Ch 
children don't come into the world knowing how to speak, but, but the ears function. And so it's through listening that we learn language. And so in the same way, uh, learning to communicate skillfully often begins with listening. First, that inner listening of, of quieting the heart and the mind. Uh, and then learning to listen to one another and then uh, relearning to speak. <clears throat> so um, pretty much every evening and morning we'll be in silence together. Uh, from about 7 o'clock in the evening, we'll come together and uh, do some silent meditation practice. Uh, I'll be offering a talk every evening. Um, and then there'll be a short break to stretch the body, get some air, walk. And then we'll end with a, with a sitting and some chanting. Uh, and then that silence will continue uh, until 9.30 each morning. So, uh, you know, in the dorms, uh, breakfast will be in silence. Um, the work period, as much as possible in the morning, just uh, keeping the speech to whatever's necessary, uh, rather than chatting during the work periods. Uh, and then coming all together for another meditation at 9 a.m., so that's a nice chunk of time from the evening all the way through to, uh, to the morning uh, to be in quiet together. And um, I really want to encourage you to hold that boundary uh, for yourself and for each other. And so um, if you have family members who you're in touch with, um, to not be on the phone uh, or email at all during that time. Um, in fact, my invitation to you um, would be, if possible, uh, until Monday afternoon, to really unplug from your life. Uh, so we'll have periods of talking uh, and interacting. Um, uh, but I think you'll get more out of the retreat if you're really able to not engage um, with uh, family and friends uh, and, and just kind of create a little fence there for yourself. The reason being that um, we have a lot of uh, patterns with the people who um, we live with or are in touch with. And I know some of you are here with people you know, which is great. Um, but they're here, so they're practicing the same stuff and they're, they're getting the same guidelines. Um, so if you call someone at home, they're not doing that. So uh, it makes it harder to stay connected to the things we're going to be practicing. Um, so if there are people at home who are expecting to hear from you, who don't really need to hear from you, um, you know, maybe tomorrow once we start talking, just send them a text message or give them a call at lunch and say, hey, you know, they suggested we not be in touch. So unless it's an emergency, you know, maybe you won't hear from me till uh, the retreat ends on Monday. And if you do need to stay in touch, obviously that's fine, but just keep it to those hours that we're talking from 9.30 till 7 o'clock at night. And then, and then in the morning and afternoons, we'll have a session uh, each morning and afternoon that will be a combination of some teaching, some interactive practice, uh, some discussion and questions, and then uh, a, a little break uh, halfway through uh, each morning and afternoon. So that's kind of, that's kind of the flow uh, of our time together. <clears throat> I, I wanted to start with, um, with a quote that I just remembered. Uh, so if we're not recording yet, we are. Oh, great. Okay. Hi, everyone out there. <laughs> um, I wanted to start with a quote uh, that I just remembered in my cabin um, before coming over here. 
um, before I started really studying and practicing uh, this cultivation of speech as a, as a form of, of contemplative practice and awakening practice. This is from Thomas Merton. I think you'll see the relevance. The rain surrounded the cabin with a whole world of meaning, of secrecy, of rumor, judging nobody, drenching the thick mulch of dead leaves, soaking the trees, filling the gullies and crannies of the wood with water, washing out places where men have stripped the hillside. Nobody started it. Nobody's going to stop it. It will talk as long as it wants the rain. As long as it talks, I am going to listen. So as we come together here on this rainy autumn evening, there's this sense of going inward and the change of the seasons signals that shift. And this, this suggestion that by listening to the natural world, that there's something profound that we can learn, that can be uncovered, that we're a part of, that's not separate from us. In some of the East Asian uh, Buddhist traditions, there's uh, a deep uh, kind of poetic understanding of the Dharma that uh, the nature that nature is continually preaching the Dharma. And Dogen Sen says, you know, the the mountains and the rivers are teaching the Dharma. And that we're not separate from that. You know, our very bodies are, you know, more than 80% water. So that by listening, by slowing down and looking deeply and listening, uh, uh, the, the truth of these teachings really uh, is revealed in our own mind and body. And so we come together in this setting to explore these teachings and uh, the potential for, for understanding the profound truth of being alive in a very unique way. Uh, by actually using awareness to explore our relationships and our communication. Uh, 
one of the ways that I often talk about this practice that we'll be exploring this weekend um, in the in the text it's called right speech or wise speech which uh, I'll unpack in, in a couple of minutes but uh, the other phrase that I use often is mindful communication which is kind of a mouthful I, I wish I had better words for it but uh, it says something about the, the practice and what its point is. Communication is obviously much more than speech. Right? Communication includes our facial expression, our body language, the tone of our voice, what we don't say. There's a lot in communication. Communication, what is communication? Communication is essentially about creating understanding. I mean, that's why we communicate. Even you look at communication among animals or communication on a cellular level, you know, neurotransmitters or hormones, it's basically sending and receiving messages. And that's the essence of communication, is some understanding happens when a message is sent and then received. That's understanding. I think it was... Um, blanking on his name now uh, it'll come to me later but uh, a famous playwright who said the, uh, the greatest uh, myth of communication is that it happens <laughs> we think we're understanding each other but are we actually you know it's message sent message received so and then the mindfulness part mindfulness means awareness wakefulness so mindful communication means creating understanding through awareness. Thank you, Michael. So this possibility of actually using awareness to help create understanding. And in the, uh, in the early texts, this process of what's known as right speech has a really central place in the texts. Um, uh, you think about even why we have access to these teachings. They exist because for hundreds of years initially they were passed on orally. All of the teachings that the Buddha gave over two millennia ago that people remembered and chanted and recited. So most of the early texts that this practice is based on, this practice of meditation and the whole path of the Dharma, begins with the phrase, thus have I heard. So there's that sense of speech right there at the very beginning of every text. This is something someone said. We wouldn't have these teachings if it weren't for speech. As much as they point to a place that goes beyond words, as much as the practice is a, is, is a practice of quieting ourselves very deeply, the, the, the thing that helps us, that, that points us in that direction is often words. And there's... Um, one of the suttas called the, Mang the Mangala Sutta, 
the Sutta on the Highest Blessings, where the Buddha expounds 37 blessings that are um, among you know the things he says. These are these are the kind of the best you can get in a human life. The 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 highest blessings, and they include things like supporting your family and um, having a trade or a skill that brings a, a, a good livelihood, um, being ethical, um, and three of them have to do with speech. One of them is hearing the Dhamma, so the sense of being able to receive teachings, listening to teachings. Another is discussing discussing the teachings. And whatever your relationship is with, with Buddhism or the Buddhist path, you can take that and understand, you know, discussing, uh, discussing wisdom teachings is a profound blessing in life. Having someone with whom to explore the meaningful things of life is a blessing. And then the third one that's in there that's related to speech directly is called subhasita, which is, means beautiful words. And when your speech is, is pleasant and beautiful, which is one of, the, one of the attributes of right speech, it's endearing, it's pleasant to hear. So when speech is beautiful, that's, that's a great blessing. And then as most of us probably know, it's one of the five precepts, right? So the Buddha lays down, he says, okay, you know, you're interested in being happy in life. You're interested in well-being, that's meaningful for you. Good, good, that's good. Here, here's how you should get started. Try to avoid doing these things. He just lays out some basic ethical guidelines and says, if you want to live a happy life, if you're interested in realizing your potential as a human being, don't kill, don't steal, don't take things that don't belong to you. Don't cause, don't abuse people sexually or physically. Don't abuse people with your words, don't lie. Don't, don't split people up. Don't waste your words. Be, be very careful with your words. And then don't take intoxicants that, that confuse the mind and make it more likely that we'll do those other things. So that's, that's the basic kind of framework, and speech is right in there. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, if you need to lie down, that's fine. So and then we have this whole exposition in the teachings of the Eightfold Path, which is often summarized as this training in ethics, meditation, and wisdom. And these eight different components that the Buddha says are the indispensable and essential foundation of his awakening. And he cultivated these eight things and they, they um, sort of culminated in his awakening. You know what one of them is? right speech. All of the rest of the ethical guidelines get lumped together under one factor of the Eightfold Path, right action. But how come speech isn't in there? For some reason it was important enough that the Buddha singled it out and said, this is, this is its own training, cultivating speech. And it also shows up the, the Eightfold Path is a cycle, it's a circle, it's not a linear progression. Um, but within that circle, it begins with the wisdom teachings, starts with right view, how you're looking at things, which I'll talk about tomorrow night, then looking at your intention, where you're coming from. So, so starting to, to have more wisdom in our life. The very next thing 
is watch what you say. That's the very next thing in the Eightfold Path. Before meditation, before livelihood, before mindfulness, it's speech. So these are, they're really front and center in the teachings. And it's a very rich field. You know why? It's a very uh, powerful and rich field for cultivation and for transformation. And we really think about the, uh, the place, the power that speech and words have. We start to get a sense of maybe why it's so uh, primary or so um, kind of elevated in the teachings. There's a certain kind of a mystery or magic to language, I think. Just even the fact that we can communicate, that I can say, uh, you know, I saw a rainbow on the way up here. And all of a sudden you have an image of a rainbow in your mind, right? So something that was inside my mind came out and then went in. You see that? So it's this, it's this uh, really fascinating kind of place that our minds touch. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons it's so powerful, that we can put something in someone else's mind for good or for ill, right? So we know when 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 children are taught to hate. You know, that's learned. Hatred is learned. It's not innate. That's, that's put into someone's mind and heart through words and actions, but often through words. So this mystery and potency to language and the, the beauty, you know, the beauty of what can be done with words, that, you know, Thomas Merton quote that I read, you know, which, which it's, it starts to, you know, art, poetry, literature, theater, it, it starts to kind of begin to touch the, the wonder of nature. How, how we, can, we can craft words in that way. And the good, the, the great good that can be done with language, you know, how we can feel, we can feel heard or seen, or loved, or cared for, through words, you know? It's just so someone listens to you and they says, oh, wow, that sounds really hard, I'm really sorry. And just that sense of presence and the, the expression of it really can touch us. And as I was referring to the great harm that can be done with words, you know, the kind of devastation that can happen uh, to relationships through saying something uh, hurtful uh, or the very real violence that can come as a result of words. You know, how propaganda is used for genocide based on language, based on concepts that then get imbued with a kind of truth and, and lead to uh, some of the great tragedies of, of our human existence. Well, there are a few things that are this powerful that are in our life every day. 
you know? We're speaking, we're texting, we're emailing, we're talking, we're listening, we're thinking to ourselves, we're talking to ourselves. So speech isn't just external, it's also this internal monologue that's going all the time often. So, you know, you sit a silent retreat and then oftentimes it's kind of a joke at the end. You do, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of uh, breaking the silence, pay attention to your speech, hear the guidelines on, you know, write speech, good luck, have fun. <laughs> um, but I think we really need uh, periods of intensive training like this to cultivate uh, the qualities of the path in our speech and in our relationships. So what's the essence of it? And what's it all boil down to, right speech? Um, we will be looking at some of the teachings. Um, each of you um, uh, received one of these packets. If you didn't, make sure you, you pick it up on the table back there. There's two. One's a little bit thicker and the other's a little bit thinner. But um, this thicker one is, is kind of a compendium of some of the, some of the most important quotes from the, from the early texts on right speech that we have. Um, and uh, you'll notice in it that some of them are highlighted, and, and that's just some kind of weird thing that happened with BCBS's printer. So they, there's no bearing on those highlights. Um, but what's, what's the essence? I've thought about this question a fair amount. And uh, to me, the essence of right speech is speech that leads to awakening. Each, each of the path factors in the Noble Eightfold Path, its purpose is to lead us towards the fruit of practice, towards realizing peace through letting go of the distortions and contortions of our mind. So speech that leads in that direction is right speech. And then, and then there's some frameworks, there's some guidelines, the most basic of which is if it leads to the increase of wholesome states, and the decrease of unwholesome states. That's right speech. So just looking at the effect, you know? What's the effect of my words, of someone else's words? Does it uplift the heart? Does it bring energy? Does it, does it bring forth the qualities that are associated with the Dharma? Qualities like simplicity, renunciation, kindness, patience, truthfulness, clarity, wakefulness. And how often, how often do our words actually go in that direction? You know, how often do our words uplift and brighten the heart and the mind in that way? Or do they go in the other direction? Do they go towards fragmentation, scatteredness, um, listlessness, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, confusion, greed, hankering, ill will, bitterness, resentment? You know, how much of speech goes in that direction? So just even looking at this as a training, yeah. And we'll explore some of the main guidelines the Buddha gave on, on, on right speech tomorrow to, you know, avoid lying, avoid harsh, abusive speech, divisive speech, and useless speech, speech that's just wasting our time and other people's time. And then the, then the flip side, the positive cultivations of those. Um, I want to say a little bit about these, these words, right and speech, or, or wise, as it's sometimes translated in speech. What is wise speech? Um, 
you know, so the you, we can say it's speech that leads to awakening, speech that goes in this direction. Uh, but I think it's helpful to have a sense of what each of these words actually represents. How are you doing? I've been talking for a little bit. You still with me? Okay, great. I know it's been a long day for some folks, so just do your best to hang in there if you're tired. It's, I'm glad to see some people taking care of themselves. Um, I, I've, I've lived with various forms of chronic pain and illness for the last 15 years. So if you have a, an injury or you're sick and you need to stand up or lie down, please take care of yourself. Don't damage yourself by thinking you need to, you know, the whole time sit bolt upright or something. Just don't start snoring during one of my talks. <laughs> um, and if someone's snoring, just give them a little nudge, just a friendly love tap there. So right speech. We don't. We tend to shy away from this word right in, in, in Buddhist circles. We often say, oh, wise speech, mature speech. Um, for good reason. There's a lot of harm that's been done with the concepts of right and wrong in our world. Um, as soon as you have something that's right and someone something that's wrong, then people deserve to be punished if they're wrong. So it's, they're, they're dangerous concepts. But I don't think the Buddha meant it that way. I think he meant it's more like, um, let's say you're, you walk out the front door, you've never been to BCBS before, and someone says, how do I get to the dining hall? And you say, oh, you go over, you go that way. And then they, they start walking down the road the other way. You say, you're going the wrong way. It's not a value judgment. You just think, if you want to get to the dining hall, that's not the right way to go. You're not, you're not going to get there. Right? I think this is what he meant when he said right speech. It's speech that, it, or any of the path factors, it goes in a certain direction. It goes in the direction of awakening. Which means is the direction of letting go, of simplicity, of not accumulating, of not becoming, goes in that direction of kindness and gentleness and understanding. So if that's what we're interested in, cultivating our, our, um, our life and our hearts in that way, then this is the right direction to go in. So the word samma is the Pali word that's translated as right. Um, but the, the, where we get wise from is that it, it, it also has connotations of complete. So the English word summary or summit, S-U-M-M, -M, same root, summa, summary, summit. So it has that sense of, the, of both like a pinnacle and also the, the com it's complete, it's whole. So that's where we get this... Um, uh, more of a, uh, not a translation, but a, um, what's the word? Um, for someone who studies right speech, I'm losing my words. Uh, it's not coming, but, uh, you know, kind of um, a transliteration of the word that we get, wise, wise speech. Uh, and then speech. So the, the word in Pali is uh, watcha, or vacha, the, the V and the W are not distinguished in ancient uh, Indian Sanskrit languages. So vacha, um, which is connected to the Latin word uh, vox, where we get voice. 
so vacha voice so this this sense of what's spoken um, a, a word a saying an expression um, so uh, vacha um, uh, in the in the Pali actually refers to more than just our speech it's actually the verbal faculty so our capacity to form language which at its root is is connected to our capacity to think to actually form concepts so it's the so um, it's called the vajji sankara so vacha is speech and vajji it has the same root it's one of the three channels that awareness runs down in the body in 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 a human being so we we have a body right we feel things in the body we have a heart mind so there's this sense of um uh uh, being affected by things. Things move us. We feel them. We feel emotions, certain meanings. I am loved. I am rejected. I am beautiful. I am ugly. I am smart, intelligent. That's beautiful. Uh, that's is meaningful. This is profound. That that whole realm of the of the heart and the mind, meanings and perceptions and feelings. And then we also have thought. There's this dimension of human experience, so the intellect and thought and concepts. That's vajji sankara. That's the the thought faculty. So our our speech is born from that faculty of the mind to conceptualize, to form concepts, to take something and say, "That's what that is. That's a thing. That's a bench. That's a floor." And then we interact with them and we relate with them and we move them around and we talk about them with each other. So it goes very deep into the mind, our capacity for language. So, you know, with all of this, this whole breadth of, of what it is to be human and speak and have this faculty and the power that words have, the, the, their prevalence in our life, um, I'm hoping you can start to see the, uh, the richness of this, of this field for cultivation. You know, it's like if you want to plant a garden and you have really fertile soil. Speech is a very fertile soil for practice because of everything I've been laying out. Um, it's it's very complex, though, which is which is one of the one of the reasons that it's so fertile, but also one of the reasons that it's that it becomes difficult to work with, is the complexity of it. There's a lot going on in our language. If I talk like this, you will understand all of the words I say, but you will lose interest very quickly. Right? Because I'm speaking words, but I'm not speaking to you. So something about where it's coming from in me and how I'm attuning to each of you in the room, like as I'm speaking, there's also a listening process happening. I'm trying to listen to you as I speak trying to reach you I'm not just saying words right so there's this there's this connection that's happening and there's the and, and and that's sort of being modulated and expressed through the tone of voice through the pace through the volume and the rhythm through the spit through the pauses and then there are these sort of more complex layers of language of, of sarcasm and idiom and 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 poetry and metaphor Right, and then there's the whole realm of emotion that shows up in speech. 
there's the sense of the, the embodied aspect of speech. Like if I speak very softly, there's something that your ears touched in a more soft way. Whereas if I speak in a, in a louder voice, you feel the vibrations. It's an embodied experience, right? It's, not, it's, just very, it's, it's very multidimensional language and speech and communication and all of the layers of meaning that are present. So there's what we say, there's how we say it, there's why we say it, there's the way we say it, when we say it. There's, there's all these different aspects going on, which is one of the reasons why it can be tricky to try to pay attention to our words and use them in ways that are you know, helpful for ourselves and others. So what I hope to do is to, is to you know, start to break this down some and, um, and offer some, uh, some practices and some guidelines uh, that can, you can start to get a sense of how it, how, thing, how it can be shaped differently and how we can receive it and let it flow differently. There are two more reasons why um, practicing with speeches uh, can be difficult. Can, can be difficult. Um, one is that, very, for, for very simple reasons, we haven't done it very much, most of us. So it's like anything else, you know? If you've never been surfing, you're going to spend a lot of time falling down, right? I've never been surfing. It looks beautiful. But, you know, if I go out there, I'm not going to expect to catch a wave, you know, the first day. Really, you know? So, like, so there's just that sense of recognizing for many of us it's new. So we're going to be tripping and stumbling and fumbling along, and that's fine. That's how we learn. <clears throat> The other reason, and, and you know, in many respects, I think this really is this really is at the core, is that our speech and our language, our communication, uh, touches our sense of identity. It touches our sense of who we are. We're very we're relational beings. We're we're uh, social creatures human beings. We're, we're, we're pack animals, really. And so relationships are very important to us. You know, that fear of exile is uh, deeply rooted in our biology. And language mediates that. And there's any sense of that being rejected, it stings. You know, it stings because... Um, uh, you know, on some level, there's a kind of a, just a deep evolutionary kind of panic around, you know, like, what if I don't belong to the tribe? What will happen to me? But then also, there's a sense of, uh, of who we are, you know, is formed through language, right? Who are you? I am Orin. What is that? Orin. It's a sound. The, you know, some sounds, but then there's a sense of me, this sense of a person that forms, right? We each have a name. You know, if you forgot your name, that would be a problem. You know, it's called it's called psychosis. <laughs> like we need we need that sense of identity of that sort of limitation of the sense of self. Um, but it's deeply connected to language and words. And, and our words are one of the primary ways that we contact one another, 
That's one of the ways we touch each other. And so because of that, um, it, it, can, it can cut deeply and it can be challenging to, to practice with words. Um, so, so how do we practice with it? How do we, how do we really start to shape it and understand and, and, and use our speech in, to go in a direction of awakening? Um, well, we have the guidelines of the Buddha, we have the guidelines of right speech, which we'll explore. Um, and if you have some time between now and tomorrow morning, if you have energy tonight or tomorrow after breakfast, um, you can start to read some of the first few pages of that packet and read some of the Buddha's words on what right speech is, just the first two or three pages. Um, and we also have um, more modern day practices like nonviolent communication which actually gives us some of the mechanics and tools to actually start to apply some of the Buddha's guidelines because for all of his wisdom and, and the depth of the teaching, there isn't a whole lot of how-to around speech, which is kind of interesting. There's a lot of how-to around meditation and cultivating the mind, um, living in community, but as far as how to actually manifest those guidelines, there's not a lot of really practical, technical tools. So I'll talk tomorrow about the kind of overview of how I bring these together. Um, and then we'll be exploring a, a kind of a comprehensive training over the next few days. So for our practice in general though, there's, there's certain core supports uh, for the whole path. Uh, and some of them I've talked about already and those are the precepts. Those are the ethical guidelines. And for our time together, um, we'll be formally making a commitment to abide by those precepts, which means that for the next two and a half days, while we're here together, this is how we'll be together as a community. We're saying that we can trust one another, that we're each going to endeavor uh, to you know, abide by these guidelines, um, that we can leave our stuff out and no one's going to take it. Um, that if there's a spider crawling, that no one's going to smash it just because they don't like it or are afraid of it, but it will, will be careful and protect its life and take it out, uh, and so forth. Uh, the other core supports for our practice are known as the, the triple gem, or the three refuges. And, and it's referred to as the triple gem because there's a sense of value. A gem is something that's precious and rare and that that's only born out of, you know, um, very potent forces. You know, gems are formed in the earth over a long period of time with a lot of, uh, a lot of um, particular conditions. So the triple gem is something that's valuable and precious and that, that arises, that is born when there's certain um, uh, conditions present. And so, how many people have done some kind of a, um, a retreat before? A meditation retreat. Oh, great. Wow. So, we're, we're almost everyone. Um, what about uh, a day long, at least just going for like a day? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, so, I'll say just a few words about each of, the, each of these gems or, or refuges and... 
uh, and then we'll uh, then we'll we'll, uh, we'll chant together. We'll chant these these refuges and precepts as a way of um, acknowledging and verbalizing our intentions for being here um, and formally kind of beginning our time together. So the first is the Buddha. And with each of these, there's a, an external, sort of literal meaning, and then there's more of an inner meaning. You could say an, an, an exoteric and an esoteric meaning, like the outer meaning and then the inner meaning. So the outer meaning of the Buddha is this guy who um, you know, was a prince who walked in ancient India uh, over 2,500 years ago. Um, and left the, left the life of the palace to uh, try to understand something about the human condition um, and had such a profound and powerful awakening that it's still affecting us today, over two millennia later, right? This whole hall, this whole center, IMS, um, exists because of this one individual and something that happened in his mind. And it's pretty amazing. You know, so there's just some sense of like, whatever you believe, whatever you think, like, okay, there's something there, you know? And, and uh, um, for me, there's a sense of deep gratitude for uh, the effort and the generosity of, of having taught afterwards for 45 years. He didn't need to teach, you know? There's a big problem <laughs> dealing with people. But, you know, he had the generosity to teach. That's the outer meaning. The inner meaning is the word Buddha itself means awareness. It means be awake. It's that sense of wakefulness. So the refuge of awareness, uh, sorry, the refuge of Buddha is the sense of, of awareness, the gem of awareness, that each of us has the capacity to be awake. We're not awake all the time. Often a lot of the time we're not awake. You know, we're on automatic or we're lost. But but we have moments and we can we can grow in that. So that's the true refuge. It's a place that we can rest upon, that we can rely upon is our own awareness. Whatever happens, conditions change, our health goes, we can be aware. So and that can be a refuge. So the second gem, the second refuge, is the Dhamma, or the Dharma, which on the outer level means the, the teachings that he left, so the actual instructions and teachings that we have, and the inner meaning is what those teachings point to, which is what the rain points to, which is just the, just the natural law of things that everything is following a certain natural law. That things, things come into being and they exist and then they, and then they fade and perish. That that's, that that's the kind of fabric of this world. So sometimes called the truth or the law or nature or the way, the Tao, the way. So there's just a sense of um, the inherent uh, nature of things that we're a part of and that that can be a source of shelter for us. That we're intimately a part of nature. Nothing goes wrong in the forest. 
You know, when a tree falls, it's not wrong. You know, but when we stumble, we think something's gone wrong. It's not wrong, it's just nature. So this is Dhamma, just nature. And that can be a shelter, uh, a, a very valuable thing for us to realize in our own life. And then the Sangha is the community. Sangha means those who have come together. So traditionally this is um, both the Sangha of awakened beings, those who have realized the teachings to some degree, um, and uh, also the then you have the fourfold sangha, the lay, lay men and women and monastic uh, monks and nuns. Um, and today we would include those who are transgender. So just, you know, all, all, all people who are practicing. And so also today we understand sangha just as a sense of having a community, just practicing with other people and, and the kinds of qualities that come from that. <clears throat> So we've all been sitting for a while, so why don't we pause for a moment and we'll and just kind of stand up, stretch your legs. Um, uh, don't leave. We'll just take a, a moment, uh, you know, just a minute, and then we'll uh, and then we'll continue with chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.